Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nemity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. Until a tech billionaire more or less killed Twitter by making it his own plaything, not a lot of people had heard about the Fediverse. The Fediverse, or Federated Universe, can be defined as a group of interconnected services used for web publishing and is nowadays most known because of Twitter alternative Mastodon. However, also software packs such as Drupal and WordPress used for blogs or Nextcloud for web hosting are considered to be part of the Fediverse. Interesting technology, especially because of its decentral nature. And because of that, for me at least, it feels a bit like the blockchain. But is that right? Our guest today is ready to discuss all Fediverse questions Kay and I may have. Carrie Lenning works for Castlebridge, a Dublin-based data consultancy, as an outside DPO. She has over 20 years of experience assessing risks and enabling data security and data protection for companies like Facebook, Palantir, and numerous other Fortune 500 companies. She recently gave a talk at the Rise of Privacy Tech event titled, Is the Fediverse Ready to Think About Privacy? And we look forward to hear our answers. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So I have to say, Carrie, we're having a lot of fun before we even get the recording started. So I have an unexpected Uh question that may or may not have actually been prepped before we came on. So, and I happen to know this applies, Paul, too. What is your pet's name? And tell me their most ridiculous habit. Oh, well, okay. I have six. I have six cats, not including my husband. <laughs> and and so, oh gosh, I, I don't want to go through all six because that would be a podcast in and of itself. I think so. I'll tell. I'll talk about two. So I have one cat, Leroy, who is a Maine Coon, and he's about Ooh. six years old, and he's a little beast. Maine Coons always are. <laughs> he's smart, though. He is so smart. He he has a tendency where he he has learned how to do shakes for treats, Ooh. so you can like shake his paw. And he used to <laughs> fetch like a dog. Maine Coons are as close to a dog as you can get. Now he doesn't do it anymore because he's too old, and he's just like I can't be ours. <laughs> but but he but he used to. And and then my other cat Max is hilarious. He's just a, a big floofy little beast, but he's adorable, and he tends to roll over on his back again like a dog and demand belly pets and he doesn't just like roll over no he rolls over he looks at you like he has been starved for attention for six years and then and then he he plaintively meows in the most adorable way possible and i'm like max do you want pets and he's like yeah so yeah those are those are two of my six i have they're all they're all characters though every single one of those characters i love it okay paul (laughs) yes 
Well, I don't, I don't do cats. I don't do cats. I have a, a part-time dog called Higgins, a brown Labrador. Part-time dog. Yeah, he's he's actually my mother's dog, but he's with me one or two days a week. The most annoying thing is that he wakes up really early. So usually before 6 a.m., I'm walking Higgins if he stays tonight. And he's also really good in telling time because he has this, yes. this very strict rhythm, especially when it comes to eating. I mean, it is a Labrador. When it comes to eating and what treats to expect at which time of the day. So then he has his dry food and then he has half an apple and then he has this and then he has another half apple. <laughs> half an apple? He I didn't know you could apple? feed dogs apples. Oh yeah, he does like apples. You know, now I'm picturing Higgins from Magnum P.I. eating an apple as he's dressing Magnum down. I'm just Oh like, no, this is not Higgins from Magnum P.I. This is Higgins from Pygmalion and My Fair Lady. Ah, and Higgins, wow. Higgins is beautiful. He joins us on the podcast every now and then. I know Pod Paul uses ear pods, but I swear Higgins can hear me laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have seven pets, not counting the husband, five dogs nice. and two cats. So I'll tell you about the two cats. We have Charlie the Podcat, which people, fans of the podcast may recognize. He really made appearances first and second season because he would try to take the microphone away from me. <laughs> Charlie's awesome. Soon after we first got him, he got injured. And it was like his hip and, you know, a little wonky. And we took him to the vet and I told the vet, I think he jumped into the ceiling fan. Because we had a cat tower in that room and I had video of him at the very top of the cat tower on his back legs, reaching up for the, the ceiling fan. I told her husband, we better move that before he jumps into it. Well, the vet's like, no, 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 no. This is this is a serious thing. We got to run blood work on him and everything. So they ran it and he came back and he went, okay, so his kidneys are bruised. I think oh. you may be right. I think he jumped into a ceiling fan because there is nothing else wrong with him. He's never jumped into it since. The other one is little baby princess, angel cat, whatever order her <laughs> names come out. She is a tiny little thing. And like Max, she likes to just throw herself down in your path. She chirps. Yep. She doesn't meow. Oh, she chirps. She lays down. She's like, I'm like, really? And she <laughs> will follow you around if you don't pay attention to her. They, she, they get more insistent if you ignore them. Yes. She does. Or they try to trip you. She does. They, they're, they're, they secretly are trying to take you out I at think any given so. time. Ma she yeah. stays yeah. in the, the cat tree by the door that goes in and out. And every time someone goes in and out the door, she just reaches out and snags us. And she leaves <laughs> marks. I, I got I got claw marks on the arms and the hip, whatever she happens oh. to be laying on. So there we go. Princess Baby Angel Cat, Charlie the Pod Cat, Higgins the Amazing Pup, and Leroy and Max the Cats of Personality. I think <laughs> we are well set up now to address the technological and privacy implications of this technology, Carrie. What do you think? I think we're good to go. Yeah. Shall we describe them in terms of cat? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I like that. So let's see, how do I describe the Fediverse in terms of cats? Well, well, okay, I think we can. They, the Fediverse is, is not just a single, it's important to think about it. It's, it's sort of like cats. It's not just a single breed, right? Okay. It's a multiple different things. In fact, you know, Paul listed a couple of different examples, but email is in and of itself part of the Fediverse in a way Ooh. because it's oh, it's wow. basically a decentralized standard mm -hmm. that people follow or excuse me a, a decentralized set of platform that follows a set of standards so email follows smtp and and a few other things 
And and that is so any email provider, any email client can talk to another email client, right? That's that's they can chirp, they can be demanding. Yeah, exactly. So so they're so they're very independent. They can they can be very independent. They are they are not necessary. They can play well with others if they all agree to the same shared protocol. But they don't always. Sometimes they're exceptionally temperamental. So okay. I manage I manage a Mastodon instance, which is a part of the Fediverse. Again, it's a platform. Mastodon is a platform built on top of this shared structure called Activity Pub. And like my cats, it it can be a little temperamental sometimes. Fortunately, I have a very very kind, very very patient. SRE husband, site reliability engineer for the non-nerds out there. And he he finds it delightful to go deal with all of the garbage that I do not want to deal with, which is to say maintaining this bloody thing that <laughs> that could go down or 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 crap the bed or do any number of other things very quickly. So so yeah, kind of temperamental like a cat, but it's also lovely and fun. My my actual my Fediverse, or excuse me, my my Mastodon instance, we've tweaked it out. So there's a picture of a cat on it now. Nice. And, and the text the text prompt says, instead of it says, you know, type your thoughts or post or whatever, now it just says meow with a question mark. <laughs> because, because, because you could just, you know, customize it a little bit. It's like getting your own special kind of cat. Yeah. But I think, but I think that's it. And also, also to, 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 to bring home that point, the developers of the Fediverse were thinking about a lot of things, but sort of like cats, they weren't necessarily thinking about the law, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And so some who aspects, does besides us? So, yeah, no one but nerds and 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 weirdos that you know spend way too much time, yeah, reading data protection assessments or addendums and privacy notices and everything else. So yeah, so there's so there's some interesting interesting aspects to it, but but yeah, it's a lot of fun, and everyone seems to like it right now. So nice. yeah, that's, sort of like that, that's what too. surprises me. Everybody seems to talk about the Fediverse now, but if I hear you, if email is Fediverse, then it has been around for what thirty years? Oh, forty. Yeah, it's been. I mean, the entire internet before was basically a Fediverse. They just didn't have a catchy name for it. You know, it was all based on. Interesting. It's all based on protocols, right? We're all sharing a similar set of things. You know, a certain. You know, I don't want to say. I think it might be a stretch at this point to say websites are, but but they are sharing protocols. They right. are sharing a, a common set of ways to do things, and that's really what the Fediverse ultimately is. Is is this manifestation this version a lot of these different platforms that are out there and there's lots there's like play out play around there's pixel feed there's something i forget what the other one is called it's got a it's got a guy's name and i always forget what it is and and then of course mastodon they're all they're all sharing this activity framework and it's it's just a method of communication between these different things so they can share data across one another so imagine it in a in the kind of centralized universe, it would be as if you could share a YouTube video, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook all in the same way. Like it would be interchangeable, not just links, but like you could literally watch, you know, or you could see Instagram pictures inside of of Twitter seamlessly, mm. or you could see YouTube videos seamlessly inside of Facebook. That would that's kind of equivalent to what the Fediverse. Do, does now and then also without all the tracking that comes with it 
And also without all the tracking that comes with it, right? Because each of these instances, that's the the fancy tech term for this, are hosted by people, like normal people, not big corporations. Now, sometimes corporations can host these things, but, you know, I host my own Mastodon instance, or I could host my own Pixel Feed instance, or Pleorama, or whatever. And and I think that's what's really exciting, is it means that there's a lot of people who are just doing this out of the love of it, and they're not necessarily doing it to track and make money and monetize it. And it's And there are some very good, robust tools that have been built into the platform to keep that from happening mm-hmm. to make it harder for that to happen so yeah so it's a, it's a lot of interesting stuff to think about but the law was maybe not the priority for most of the developers because when when these were when this was coming up you know i think mastodon's been around don't quote me and i'm sure maybe a geek will call me out on it but i think it's been around since about 2016 and when the developers of mastodon were putting this together they came at it from the standpoint of of people who were often marginalized on other networks, on, on centralized networks like Twitter or YouTube. They got a lot of harassment and spam because they might be, you know, identifying in groups that are more likely to be targeted. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they built in a lot of controls and safeguards and protections to kind of combat that stuff. And they also were very mindful of of privacy considerations in an abstract techie kind of sense but not necessarily in the, like, here's how you comply with the GDPR kind of sense. <laughs> so what are, what are the concerns that you have discovered or that you've been thinking about? Right. So, so I think one of the biggest ones is getting people to understand that even if you're a tiny individual hoster of, of you know, a Mastodon instance, you are also a data controller. Mm-hmm. You are also, you know, or in probably not in California speak because you, you know, I would say a business in California, CCPA land, but, but it's, but you're not exactly because California has higher thresholds. But under the GDPR, basically, if you're processing data, if you're doing stuff with data, as I like to tell my clients, you are a, a data controller, and it doesn't necessarily matter how big you are. Yeah, if you're touching EU data subject information, you're a data controller. Welcome to the club. And a lot of a lot of folks that are hosting these instances don't think about it like that. No. They're like, oh, well, I'm in the U.S. That doesn't apply to me. Or they don't even know about it. Or they don't know about it. Right. right. And so what I wanted to do was kind of address that larger thing. And, and of course, when you start thinking about this, like I, I came on in, in November after the muskening started, after he acquired Twitter and mm-hmm. came in with the kitchen sink and or the sink and all that other nonsense yeah. and started destroying everything. And I, I came in and I the first things that I was thinking of was, oh shit, this is a mess because no one has thought about this stuff yet. Right. <laughs> and or at least no one's articulated it. And I wanted to make sure that people were actually thinking about it. So it's does the GDPR or do data protection laws, does privacy laws actually apply? That's a big one. And articulating why they would apply is really important. Explaining that in common sense language is really important. But another thing to think about is just like other legal issues, data sovereignty issues. If you're in a certain jurisdiction or, you know, people can use these instances for all sorts of different things. Not mm-hmm. all of them are wholesome or G-rated. Oh, some. Right. And some some countries have rules about these things, not necessarily the United States yet, but, you know, Germany, for instance. Yeah. Let's put it this way. If. 
if Truth Social were operating, Truth Social is a, a version of, of Mastodon, basically. They have taken that and they're using ma- the Mastodon platform to run. But if Truth Social existed in Germany, they would be sad. Okay. They would have legal issues because there's a lot of Holocaust denialism and other other things. And then, of course, there's also just straightforward legal obligations that most people aren't thinking about dealing with handling and reporting illegal activities or copyright infringement or CSAM, child sexual abuse material. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks weren't necessarily thinking about that. And then finally, you know, just issues around new laws that are coming into effect. That's that's going to be a big one. The Digital Services Act here in Europe or some of the interesting biometric laws that are a little bit less broad than the CC or that are a little bit less big tech platformy than the CCPA is. These are all going to be things to think about. And and Europe and America and everyone else seems to be on a big kick right now, as you guys noticed in your noted in your last last week's podcast about about passing new laws. So that's definitely a thing. So is this then something that you would be able to take care of in in the central part of, for example, Mastodon or or any of the other Fediverse ideas? Or is this something that every server owner, every instance owner should take care of themselves and should assess themselves? Yes. <laughs> Double. Because <laughs> because some some of it is platform based. Yeah. There's there's definitely a couple of things that I noticed, especially around Building in privacy by design and defaults, if you want to incorporate those those techniques, there are some areas of improvement. You know, one of the biggest ones that a lot of people flag is the idea that the, you know, I as an instance owner can see everything, right? I can see all the data. So if you guys are talking and let's say you, let's say you're like, oh gosh, Carrie, you know, you're on my instance and and you start talking smack. You're like, Carrie is just a pain. I hate all our cats. And she's awful, right? Well, if you're on my instance, if you're users of my instance, I can read your your private messages. Now, to be fair, everyone on Twitter, you know, Twitter admins could also read your private messages too, but there was a scale issue, right? It's one mm-hmm. thing, right. it's very easy for me to read five users' messages if I were so inclined, which I am not. It's much harder when it's, you know, five million. 5 million or even more is 50, 100, 150, 200 million people, right? That's just, it doesn't, there's a scale issue right? at that point. So they zero in on certain people. I'm not one of the ones they zero in on. Yeah, no, 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 me neither. I'm sure I'm, I'm very boring. I'm sure Elon Musk didn't care. I would, I would trash talk Elon Musk on Twitter and he never seemed to respond. So I wasn't on his (laughs) list, but, but you know, it's, it's much easier in the Fediverse because because instances can be very small. Right. So those are those are things that could be addressed at the at the platform level. Like you could build in end to end encryption. You could build in better mechanisms around logging and the kind of information that's collected. Because one one thing that's, you know, where where it's a little bit of a shared responsibility is is if a government comes calling. Mm-hmm. To these individual instance owners, they don't necessarily know what their rights are. They don't have a trust and safety team right. on hand. It's like me, I'm running it now. I'll go tell the government to pound sand. But, you know, at the same time, if you're in a hostile regime, if you're in Russia and you're or you're in Iran and you're being told to target your female members mm-hmm. and provide yeah. all that information over to the government or you're in Texas 
and you're being told to provide information about people who are using your platform to make appointments to go to the doctor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Make appointments to go to the doctor. Yeah. So that's, and a lot of people don't necessarily know the rights and they don't necessarily know what they can push back on. And so those are, those are concerns. Well, in the third party doctrine, which isn't yeah. necessarily a thing in all countries. That is correct. Right. So third party doctrine would, would probably do it. And for those of you that don't know the third party doctrine, Frankly, I don't know how popular it is in other countries or how strong it may be in other countries. But here in the U.S., it means that if you voluntarily give your information to a third party, such as cell phone providers or Internet service providers, then you have voluntarily given up your right to privacy to that information and the government can go get that information from third party providers. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons the EU is mad at us right now is because the government can go to these big companies and ask for data and the individual doesn't even have to know. Yeah, yeah, we've been mad at you for quite a couple of years for that. But yeah, you're right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, we do have a case going up in front of the United States Supreme Court. I'd have to look at who it is that will speak to the third party provider, the third party doctrine. And so I'm looking forward to that. But this is kind of like, you know, a couple of other cases that went in front of the Supreme Court that we were all like, oh, my gosh, we're finally going to get an answer on something critical to a privacy issue. And they they piecemeal it. They're like, this only applies under these circumstances, specifically these circumstances, which might be one firefighter in California, northern California. Exactly. Uh And it doesn't apply to anything else. Or the Ramirez versus Equifax decision where they didn't really say anything. Yeah, You know, we wait and we wait to have clear cut guidance, which is why I'm so cynical when people say we're going to come out with legislation for AI. Really? We don't have legislation for privacy, really, other than on a state basis. We don't have federal. And I I don't have faith that we're going to have federal legislation governing AI because I think they're going to piecemeal it together decision by decision, circumstance by circumstance. So you're right. So that could be something here as well with this, that the individuals, in addition to not knowing the law and their rights and everything, they, they have no clue what else can go on with them, which makes me beg the question. They're responsible for doing their own privacy notice mm-hmm. and their own disclaimers and their own terms. Yes. But in there, they would have to build in and accommodate your terms and your privacy notices if they're being thorough. Well, who is the they in this case? I thought you were talking about like instance admins or are you talking about Mastodon as a platform? Talking about the individuals who use it. Right. So if they're rolling out an instance for a business use Mm -hmm. as a sole proprietor, let's say they sell, I don't know, Mary Kay Cosmetics or something. So they're rolling out an instance on one of your platforms to support their business. They would have to give their own privacy notice in their own terms. Right. So so Mastodon, the developers, kind of came up with a very, well, this goes back to my my thing about maybe not necessarily being or being a little bit more like cats and not necessarily thinking about the law. They wrote a privacy notice that was not great. And so there is a default privacy notice that's built into the platform. I went ahead after I, you know, after I thought about it quite a bit and I I, I came up with my own, like I said, I for my own Mastodon instance, which I'm just going to go ahead and plug right now is data protection, data protection dot social, just in case you want to join. (laughs) She promises she won't read your direct messages. I won't read your, God, I don't have time. 
<laughs> I'm a GPO for multiple clients. I don't have time for any of it anymore. So, so yeah, so I, I sat down and I actually went, okay, well, this privacy notice isn't acceptable in Europe or in California or anywhere, really, because it wasn't written by lawyers. It wasn't written by someone who actually had a legal background. And I, as much as I hate to say it, I used to be a practicing lawyer, or as I like well, to say now, a recovering lawyer, which is yeah, much Carrie, better. Yeah, Carrie, let's be honest. Most of the time, we advise that you keep your lawyers out of your privacy notice. Let someone yes. who knows about the law write it, but someone who actually understands it. If you have to give it to the lawyer to read for the full final legal blessing, then tell them to only redline for something that is legally inaccurate and don't go putting in a whole bunch of crap that you think yes. need to be in there that should not be in there. Oh, girl, we could have a whole, whole discussion about privacy notices. That would be a yes. separate podcast. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, so I, I, I do, I, I like to say because I'm a recovering lawyer, I now think like a human being again. And so I write my privacy notices in a way that is actually makes sense to human beings as opposed to other lawyers. And so, right. So I wrote it in a kind of semi cheeky, but, but legally factual way that, that talks like that. about, about the semi -cheeky. way about. Semi-cheeky. Yeah, it's kind of funny. But but it talks about the the kinds of things that need to be in a privacy notice in general. You you want to have details about, you know, who you are, what you're doing, what kind of data you're collecting, why you're using it, purposes, your reasons, your legal reasons, your legal basis, how long you're storing it, what you're doing with it, that sort of a thing. So my, my privacy notice does have that. And and I have templatized it in a way that allows admins and other instance owners to actually use that filling nice. in with their specifics. So like, I don't know what kind of server they're hosting their instance on. I host an instance on a server here in, or server in Switzerland. And so I have that for tied for mine, but I don't have it for theirs. And I don't necessarily mm -hmm. know people might have other exotic stuff under the hood and they might be doing other things with data that I'm not aware of. But, but the general core principles of, of what you would use a Mastodon instance for, or largely any kind of Fediverse instance, for that matter, are, are generally there. Or they may be using sensitive data in a country that's classified as sensitive data that the rest of us would look at it and go, that's sensitive data? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, there you go. You have to yep. disclaim it based on your, your localities, exactly. Now, I do preface that it is geared towards the EU slash US because that's mm -hmm. where what I come from. What is not? Yeah, right. But but you know I like I haven't written it for Saudi Arabia I haven't written it for Oman or for for China or anything else like the pipple is a whole other kettle of fish that I do not want to have. PIPL. Yes yes. Oh your go is a PIPL. I call it pipple. Pipple. Team pipple. PIPL. All right PIPL. You know I I haven't I haven't written it for that but but. It could. Someone could. And it's and I put it up on on a, on a code repository so anyone could okay. contribute to it. So that's that's a nice thing is if you have something that's like, oh, hey, I know I'm a specialist in Chinese law or Russian law or whatever, you know, always, always happy to take contributions. Very good. I love it. So when we when we look at other parts of the Fediverse outside of, of Mastodon, maybe, I mean, WordPress is also very well known by a lot of people. A lot of people use it. You can have WordPress for your own website. You can have WordPress on their website. Just create a blog. At least that used to be possible. I don't even know whether that still exists, but you can. Also there, I think there are a lot of privacy and data protection concerns, right? 
I think I think WordPress is a fascinating one because WordPress has this added wrinkle of having all of these extra plugins. And good lord, I have not even begun to think about the fractal complexity of that (laughs) on top of everything else. Because you have WordPress and now WordPress is it like just like any kind of Fediverse thing in general, like you can self-host, right? So you could theoretically set it up in a hermetically sealed way there where WordPress is just the platform. You are hosting everything locally. No one else is touching your data. And the only thing you're collecting is, you know, well, I guess technically you could set it up as a blog post and not allow comments. And the only thing that would be collected would be IP address information and some machine identifiers. Yeah, it would be the cookie tracker that Word that WordPress would put there and not you. But you can kind of disable that if you're clever. Yeah, I'm not clever. Yeah, you could you could set it up like old school. Basically, you can make it so it's kind of old school. Yeah. Where it's just, I miss the word, I miss the, I miss the click, click count, you know, like the page count things mm-hmm. back in the day. Right. The bright, the, the bright green one at the bottom of your web page. <laughs> like 5,000 people have clicked on your site. I don't know why we can't go back to that. Yeah. So, so you could set it up in such a way. Because it's worthless for advertising. I don't care. I hate advertising. But, you know, with, yeah. you could set up, I, you know, I have, I have, I, I there's a reason I like working for Castle Bridge. So, so I went to Dara at some point and I said, Hey, Dara is the, Dara O'Brien is the managing director of Castle Bridge. And I went to him and I said, Hey, I, I foster cats to, to help find them good homes. And it would be hilarious if we had a website called castlebridge.ie for foster <laughs> cats. And he was like, Yes. Yeah. So I was like, cool. And I have a castlebridge.ie. Castlebridge.ie does not collect anything. I do not have cookies. I do not allow comments. I delete, expunge IP address information within 30 days. It's like dead simple. So it just depends. For for WordPress, it really, really depends on what you have. Now, if you have a bunch of extra crap on there, if you have a bunch of integration with WooCommerce or integration with other plugins and tools and things it gets very hairy in a hurry now fortunately wordpress i should probably find someone who knows about those things to go stop all those things what's what's actually kind of cool is there are some third-party apps compliance z is one of the probably most well-known ones but i think there's also another like c-o-m-p-l-i-n-z i think it's french the french anyway so they have a privacy notice generator that's actually not terrible and it actually does look at you know specific details of your site and how the kind of tools and cookies and things like that that are actually in place so it can be very useful and very easy for people to set up there are lots of tools like that out there and there and there's some really good ones but it just really depends wildly on what you what you have installed because there's trackers everywhere yeah Mm -hmm. And you can set up Google AdWords there just the same as you can any old website, right? So it's... Oh, my God. It kills me. (laughs) Gluten-free does not seem to apply to those cookies. (laughs) It does not. I would love it if it did. It would be great. Right? It's like, we don't need them. We don't want them. Could you please, God, go away? You have to go to your way to get rid of it. That's the thing. That's the Yeah, the average person running a WordPress site would have no clue what they should do to get rid of these things, despite the fact that they want them gone. Yep. Yeah. And that is why we have privacy by design and privacy by default written into the law, not only here, but 
also in other places around the world. And the companies behind these kind of technologies should realize that when they, well, I mean, when they re, when they release their next versions, might for a change be nice to also focus on this. I mean, there are companies that actually have spent three months or six months only focusing on their privacy and security infrastructure yeah. for a number of sprints, looking yeah. at Zoom at the start of the, the pandemic. Yeah, who really stepped it up. And it surprises me because it's not just work on it for security. I get it. Privacy and security aren't the same thing. Security supports privacy. Privacy supports security. Blah, 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 blah. We got this. It's not just security, which is why they need to work on it. A lot of companies, not enough are taking it seriously that they really need to watch out for the data that they process. We've talked about, you know, before privacy being the fourth leg of the corporate social governance, the ESG. And it really should be because you're watching out for the environment. Why not watch out for people? Yeah. Concept, right? For their data, (laughs) for their, yeah, for their privacy, for their security, for their well-being. Because if you don't collect the data, then it doesn't matter if you have a breach, you're not going to hurt the people. And yes, this does apply to just collecting their IP address online too. Y'all understand the concept of big data, right? (laughs) You pull their IP address from one site, somewhere and out there has it tagged to exactly who it is, how many people it could belong to, who abuse that computer, and all their contact information. It's creepy. It's powerful. It's expensive. It makes a lot of money. But come on. Do you need it? That's the real question. Yeah. I think there's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. So there's, I, I, I am on, I have, I have come from a, I came from a tech background. I have a weird background. I did a lot of weird things. This is like, I came up in the dawn of the internet, right? And then in the, er, in the, in the early nineties. So I'm like very old. And I, and I was working. And we ain't going there, are we, Paul? I was working for like ISPs. I was doing the technical nitty gritty stuff for a long time before I decided that, yes, I wanted to go be a lawyer. And so I actually understood how technology works, which is kind of important. And also being married to an engineer helps. And and it's it's kind of hilarious because IP addresses are, yes, they are personal data. And, you know, we have lots of case decisions that have stated as much, including the Breyer decision here in Europe. Mm-hmm. But it's also fundamental to how the internet works. Yeah. And so it is impossible, no matter what the European Data Protection Board says, not to collect and or use IP address information, right? Yeah. It's just... Especially in, usually in the logging, right? Because that's where I run up against, you know, our engineers when I say, you know, we we don't collect it, we we can't use it. And they're like, well, okay, you do realize they're in the log files, that it's automatic. I'm like, that part, I'm not really worried about. But but Europe is, and, you know, we have yeah. various decisions that say that because that information goes to Google in any capacity and it's going to the United States and therefore it's a... Yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, like, I think yeah. it's important to... There's going to be a... I think there's going to have to be, especially in the Fediverse is one of those areas where I think it's going to force a little bit of hopefully positive change. It sort of Good. did. It did a little bit with the Digital Services Act. I think towards the end of when it was going through the trilogues and the the discussions in Europe, everyone realized, oh, oh, oh wait a second, this thing, this <laughs> this law, if it doesn't have any carve outs and exemptions for sizes, this is going to be as applicable to small Fediverse operators like myself as it is going to be to Twitter, 
or to yeah. Facebook or Google or anyone else. And I think that that's, I think that that was a realization that came about, in fact, because people started to start talking to technologists and saying, well, wait a second, what, all this stuff, does this apply to even small people yeah, or is this just does. all big tech? And it does, it does, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. IP addresses, you know, that's how the internet works. That's, that's just reality. And so we need to actually take a step back and think about how we balance rights yeah. in a way that does not completely create a splinter net or crippling of the internet as we know it. That's another big area I talk or about. Or even on a more basic level, just doesn't take into account how technology actually works. Yeah. You can't stop people from collecting IP address in the log files. That's how technology works. You need to stop Google from using them. You need to stop excessive abuse and yeah. excessive retention and things like that. And that's and that's important. So that, and I and I do have in my guidance, like I said, I prepared a, a, a guidance document and along with a kind of privacy template for Fediverse admins. And it just talks about a lot of these issues. It talks about a lot of the concerns and in some cases, how to deal with things at a technical level, how to lower retention. So I have a very tight retention schedule for the kind of information that I keep because I don't need to keep it. It's not necessary. I don't have a reason or purpose for processing that information after a certain period mm-hmm. of time. I need it to communicate. I need it to make sure that things connect to one another. Right. But I don't need to keep it for, for longer than 30 days. That's not necessary. There's no, there's no technical fix that I need to do that's going to be longer than that. If there's an abusive situation, I'm able to deal with it quickly. So I don't you know, right. have to keep that stuff for very long. So there's, there's, there's going to be a combination, going back to your earlier thing, there's a combination of things that need to occur at the technical level. It needs to be easier, needs to be made easier for individual instance admins who don't have SRE husbands <laughs> to actually administer the thing in a privacy preserving privacy conscious way but they also right. but there also needs to be awareness on the part of instance owners and admins and people who run these services about the kind of privacy things that they should be thinking about on behalf of their users and themselves and that means that also the company behind for example Mastodon should include it in their guidelines and in their development plans to build in privacy by design, privacy by default, have a proper basic data protection and privacy notice in place that people can can use as a template when they start rolling out their own instance. And the same for WordPress and Drupal and all the other examples that we gave, including email. Yep. Yeah. Yep, it's 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 absolutely true. Email email is interesting because I think you get some interesting bits for household exemptions and other things on a small level. But mm-hmm. right, you know, Gmail is Gmail. Of, of course, there's a whole other separate thread of of nerdy technical digression that we could go down, which is that <laughs> which we won't, which we won't. But it but basically that it is now impossible to self host your own email Instance, platform yeah. anymore. But that's a different yeah. story. So yeah, looking at all the topics that you've raised that we haven't addressed today, we can have you back every other month on Serious Privacy this year. I'm sure we'll reach out to you again for a follow-up conversation. But for now, we'll have to wrap up because time is up. All right. So thank you very much, Carrie, for joining us today. To all our listeners, thank you again for listening to this episode. If you like us, do tell your friends and colleagues about us. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app and join the conversation on LinkedIn. Find us under Serious Privacy or follow us on still on Twitter at, at Podcast Privacy. K as Heart of Privacy. Myself as Euro Paul B. 
You'll also find me on Mastodon as europolby at eupolicy.social, which actually does have a good data protection notice. And until next week, goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was serious privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because their deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesi Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central, seriously one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me a Paul if you have any questions. <laughs>